Hey! Welcome to Rushcast. My name is Jay Mantis. I am getting very creative with these intros. Am I not? I feel I feel like there's potential with some of these, and I'm just trying to work around what the songs are giving me. You know what I'm saying? So listen, about Neurotica. We talked about Neurotica last week. And I talked about a listener who sent me a tweet that said, what about this Yelp at the end of Neurotica? Uh... I went and listened to what I thought was the Yelp. Turns out that wasn't what I'm talking about. As the song fades out, you can hear this Getty yells something. It's a Yelp. Um, two people contacted me and said, I know what that Yelp is. So Daryl Hurst and David Sharp sent me some insight via Twitter and email. In the rest of the song, Getty says snap. The word Snap. And you'll hear that in the song. It's very clear. Right before the bridge, he yells, snap. And there's like a snare hit with it. That's what he's yelling at the end. So I'll, uh, I'll put a little... Th- I'll, it's going to be t- tough because I'm going to have to compress it really hard. It's not going to be the best quality. But I'll see if I can blow, that, the, blow the volume up so that you can kind of hear what he's saying at the very end. We'll put it in right here. So thanks for sending that in, guys. And now I know uh, a little bit more about what I'm talking about, maybe. So uh, also on Twitter, we'll stay on the social networking topic. Daily Rush Photo has been doing this contest or had been doing this contest. Ranking one by one, head to head style, like a March Madness bracket. Each Rush song omitting the radio hits, which is a great, (laughs) a great stipulation in my opinion. It came down to Xanadu and, oh man, I didn't even write it down because I thought I would know it. What was the other one? Well, Xanadu won. And I've, I owe Xanadu and Cygnus book two, right? I know some of you are yelling at me and you're yelling Cygnus two. I voted for Cygnus two and that was the only round I voted on because I couldn't keep up. There's just too many rounds for me to be on my phone all day trying to figure out how to do it. But I totally voted on the championship round. People really dig Xanadu, man. And while I have, I admit that it's a great tune, it's just it's not as high as on my list as it is for a lot of people. But that's cool. I've done that contest in the past. Chad and I did it, and it was hard. But um, I think I ended up with Marathon and Secret Touch. I couldn't decide between those two, but those were the two I ended up having in my championship round. So I, I took this picture. On campus, there is a this guy that sells random stuff, and it's different every week. This week, it was a bunch of old CDs and uh, vinyls. And I took a picture of the CDs and said, find the Rush reference. And right in the middle, in big letters, one of the CDs said, the records. People got that instantly. The next one, I said, the next few will be a little harder. This next one, I took a picture. I said, find the Rush reference. And of course, everyone's reading through all the little words on the CDs. And I kept saying, you're, you're looking in the wrong spot. Don't zoom in. People found, <laughs> I can't believe the stuff people were, were guessing. And some of, there were Rush references in there 
that I didn't realize. The rush reference I was looking for was the fact that on the right-hand side of the picture was part of the that big red star on the cover of 2112. So if you forget about the words and just look at like half a little chunk of the record of the album cover is in the picture. That's the reference I'm looking for. People found the trees. There was the the words the trees were in there. The word epic was in there, which people somehow related to Rush just from the word epic. Midnight Star was the title of one of the albums. And you'll remember the National Midnight Star from Red Lenses. That was that was nuts. I couldn't I couldn't believe people found that. Uh, one guy guessed the atmosphere. I don't know how that's a rush reference, but he guessed it. Another one said "Paint the Sky" was the rush reference. Somebody said Johnny Cash dot 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 Big Money. So <laughs> these are stretches, you guys. There's just a 2112 album in the picture. That's all it was. But A for effort, completely. Last week, I asked you to make a super album. One song from every album makes a a double album, 20 tracks. And I wanted you to put them in order, you know, set your album up with the order in mind. Uh, Let's say you chose, let's pick an album, Presto. Let's say you chose the pass. The pass is kind of in the middle, the, the beginning, middle part of the album on Presto. So it should be similar on your super album. Or maybe you think Presto would be the best opener for an album ever. And you put it first. That's what I was looking for. Um, I was hesitant to make this a digital discussion because I thought it wouldn't be interesting. However, the feedback has been amazing People really dug it. You would not believe the amount of detail of some of the entries I got. People attaching pictures to each each song. People explaining how each song relates to the one after it. And uh, people making Spotify playlists. It was incredible. So you guys seem to really like that. And I will keep that in mind for future digital discussions. I'm not going to sit here and read you every entry. But today's digital discussion will be something where I can we can count up the, the votes, so to speak, or how many points each one got. I really liked uh, a few things. Jason Vaughn chose to end his album with Freeze, and I thought that was, that was different than anything I had seen from the other entries, and I thought that was a really cool idea. He also had Circumstances, which I didn't see very much of. Ken Schechter had Sweet Miracle, and I think it was... Definitely a rarity to choose from that entire album, a really big album, by the way, to choose Sweet Miracle. Any Kevin, anytime Sweet Miracle gets any love, I'm all about it, because that's a, a deep cut for sure. There was a lot of Finding My Way. A, a ton of people started their albums with Finding My Way. There was a lot of The Garden, and obviously those two tunes are related because The Garden is the last song, the, the most recent song from the band and finding my way is the earliest natural science came up a bunch animate and subdivisions so eric uh on eric emailed me he's at neil peart problems on twitter or at neil peart probs he's his album was chronological which was interesting 
And again, from Vapor Trails, he chose Vapor Trails. Another tune that I don't think gets a lot of love. Um, and especially didn't in the entries I got today. It didn't get a ton of love. DJ Drew Mitchell. This is the guy that introduced me to a remixed version of Tom Sawyer that I really enjoyed. He's the one that made this Spotify list, which was really, really neat. He had a few interesting choices. From Presto, he chose War Paint, one of my early favorites on that album. The One of the poppiest from Hold Your Fire is Prime Mover. He's got that one on there. He chose Good News First for Snakes, which uh, is interesting because that song gets no love. And I think there's a lot of other tracks on Snakes that are super strong. And I'm surprised to see that here. And I'm not I'm not I'm not bragging on that choice, but it's just surprising to me. He also had in the end from Fly By Night. Now here's the thing. I don't think In the End represents that album well. And I know I might be in the minority. People like In the End. A lot of you had it on your setless challenge lists before r40 you all thought in the end was coming i don't get i don't get that song i guess that's my next song where i just i don't understand what i think it's i think it's bland for a rush song i think it's it's interesting the way the the tune changes throughout while it's playing but i don't i don't see it as representative of what fly by night is i think anthem really says hey this is what this album's going to be like beneath between behind like those are those are tracks that are representative of what that album is to me so this is um that's just your daily do- your daily dose of controversy i guess i got to i got to tell you something where i'm just not on board with the rest of you guys and that's that's what it is this week for sure <laughs> bill we got our guy bill middletown meyer he said he's he has losing it. It was one of the very few that had losing it on his list. And he ended with Necromancer. Which is interesting and kind of familiar to me because one of the bands I listen to now has they're considered prog metal. They end their this big chunky album that they have with their longest track. It's like 16 minutes. And I kind of like that. I kind of like having all of these tracks that are normal length and having an epic to end the whole thing i really do it's a cool aesthetic and he turned that he took that aesthetic and applied it to rush here so his super album ends with this jar gigantuan whatever you want to say this humongous epic of a song i like that he also sequenced his songs based on sound or, or what key they were in, which was a lot of effort. <laughs> I really appreciate it um, that people wanted to really make sure they did this the way they felt was necessary or the way they wanted. But he did, uh, you know, he would have songs, this song ends in this key, and then the next one coming out of it is in this key. Or he said, you know, Freeze, well, just for an example, this isn't his list per se. Freeze goes into Out of the Cradle. Well, he made sure when he chose Freeze that the next song was similar to Out of the Cradle or the beginning of that song. 
That's a lot of effort, man. Nice job, Bill. Bill Biddle, Bill Middletown Meyer, or as I try to say, Bill Biddletown Buyer. Always banging on Middletown, saying it's the weakest. I'm just going to keep calling Bill Middletown Meyer out. I'm going to keep calling him out until he stops saying in emails, Oh, I don't, I don't hate Middletown. I don't hate it. It's a good song. It's just the weakest on the album. And if you know me, the correct answer, the correct response to that is not, it's the weakest on the album, but simply, there are no weak songs on Power Windows. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Bill. So, for today's digital discussion, I want to know what your favorite epics are. Let's rank the epics. The epics being the long songs, okay? Let's count everything longer than natural science. We won't count natural science. We'll consider it a long-ish short song. We're talking about the epics, okay? Cygnus, Cygnus, Camera Eye, 2112, Necromancer, Fountain Lemneth, Xanadu. Out of those seven, let's rank them just like we did with the instrumentals. And since it's such a short list, I'd like to do like a point system. It'd be really easy. So that next week I can come to you and say, you know, you send me your list. And then I could say uh, the Necromancer got 50 points and Xanadu got 77 points or whatever it might be. And we'll see out of our my listeners and whoever participates, um, which epic song gets the most votes. This was an idea brought to me by a listener. His name is David Sprick. And I thought it was a really good idea. Speaking of which, let's get into our New World guest. Today's New World guest is somebody I've met online, like a lot of you. Uh, his name is David Sprick. How's it going, David? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Jay. Can you hear me okay right now? I forgot to ask you. Yeah, I can hear you perfect. Awesome. Uh, David emailed the show. He was just telling me a second ago that he's a little bit of a newer listener to our show. Um, but he, I think he's all caught up now. He, he, he emailed me and said... You know what would be a cool idea is you ranked the instrumentals on one episode, but what if you ranked the epics? And by the way, I really like calling them the epics because it's uh, an easier way easier way to say and a faster way to say the long songs, right? So <laughs> it was a good idea, David. Uh, I'm interested to see how you've ranked them because we the two of us have both ranked them for you, and that is going to be... Um, Something I look forward to hearing from the other listeners. So, uh, how did you come up with this idea, David? Well, I was I was going through your archive of podcasts, and I heard the instrumentals, and I was interested to hear about how Lavia did. <laughs> you guys both ranked them too, and uh, you know I took umbrage with that and told you about it. But I just thought <laughs> the other thing that I was familiar with too were the epic songs. That's kind of when I came into Rush. Uh, my first album was Hemispheres, so. That was sort of their, I guess you would say, um, 
defining feature were some of these epics that people knew Rush from before they got a Tom Sawyer and that on down. So it just, it seemed natural. I, I was excited. You guys already were ranking instrumentals. I didn't think some of the younger listeners, uh, uh, and I mean, uh, uh, I'm jealous because you're younger, but uh, I didn't think you guys would uh, would already be doing that. So I thought, why not the epics? Let's, let's throw that out there. Are you somebody who, like, do you identify as uh, a fan of the 70s stuff or do you like the newer stuff, the 80s? Well, I like it all, but, I, you know, you had the hypothesis that you, you like what the best, what you came into the new first, and that's true. My first album I ever got in my life, I had an uncle who was a DJ uh, for a local college in St. Louis, and he introduced me to Rush. I was probably 10 or 11, and Hemispheres was the, the first album I heard, and then the first one he gave me for, I think, a Christmas present. It was on vinyl. So you can, I'm dating myself. I'm 45, so. <laughs> but I came in rather early, and, and so... Yeah, that that period. Uh, I think I've said you know, uh, farewell to Kings Hemispheres, uh, Permanent Waves, kind of um, moving pictures are my four favorite. I, I like the new stuff though too. I, I like that. I've been listening a lot to the '90s albums, uh, to be honest. Um, uh, lately, Counterparts and Bones, and of course, uh, Just for Echoes. I like it all. I mean, they, 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 that's what I like about the band. They've got a variety of styles. So, so did- but yeah, I mean, if you, if you ask me, the '70s, late '70s, early '80s period is, is my favorite period but I, I like the rest too. so did you buy each album as it came out did you anticipate you know were you anticipating each album each album's release yes i did i you know once i got hemispheres i got all the world to stage you know the live album which kind of caught me up um and then 21 12 later but i remember getting permanent waves i got that on a cassette which again i'm dating myself along with moving pictures uh on cassette and then I sort of uh, just, you know, moved to the CDs when they did. And although I, I'll tell you, the 2002 one, I was with small kids. So that I, I actually just listened. But, you know, I, I've had to catch up with that. So, right. but yeah, as they come out, it's been nice. It's, uh, you know, when I went to the R40 tour here in KC, I had a kid sitting next to me who was 14, and his uncle introduced him, too. And, you know, he knew he knew every song. It was kind of interesting. It's it, it, serendipity, but... Uh, there I was. So yeah, it's been it's been kind of neat. I, I you know they they've been around so long and they're still good and and it's it's why I like talking about Rush and listening to them. Like I, I always wonder what it would have been like to grow up with the band and have all of these albums that I'm so familiar with to have them as new albums. Like like I can I can relate to Clockwork and Snakes because I was around for when they were released and I I had that yeah, that um feeling of this is the new rush this is the latest thing this is <laughs> this is the direction they're going now and i yeah, wish i, I had I thought, that for the other albums yes yeah, sir I, I i thought that with many pictures you could tell that they had changed which was great uh the songs were shorter you could hear them on the radio you know i just i was in love with it i mean to be honest and uh I, although you know, when you come in from a different period, you hear people, which I, what I like about hearing your podcast, some people come in from the 90s, you came in in the, I guess, 2000s, and you just have a different perspective on it, and it's nice to hear, and so it makes you appreciate some of the other albums that, that you're maybe not as attached to. Right. But you're right, it was kind of neat. I mean, it was neat seeing moving pictures and how big they were at the time uh, uh, in the popular music world. Yeah, it was it was, it was a neat, neat time for them. So anytime we do rankings there's the you know on this show and the listeners of this show and the people who participate there's this kind of uh obviously we're we're saying we all love every rush song we all love the stuff equally like there are children like donna helper mm-hmm. said 
but uh, these rankings are more how we feel at the time. So the instrumental rankings, you know, while I stick by what I said, that was kind of how I felt at the time. And then, you know, you kind of get sick of one and it floats to the bottom or sinks (laughs) to the bottom and then others float to the top. So when we do these epic rankings, as I did mine, I thought, well, this is how I feel now. And not to say this one's worse than that one or this is ultimately the best. It's just how I feel now. Is that how you did your list? Yeah, no, I agree. This is all subjective, and but you know we have, we're forced to rank, and I didn't want to put them in tiers, so I, I just did one to seven. And you're right, this is how I feel right now. What I'm listening to, um, some I'm more emotionally attached to than others, but uh, yeah, I agree with that. It's it's uh, it could change in a year. <laughs> yeah, David and I decided that we would do anything longer than natural science, not including natural science. So that gives us uh, Cygnus, Cygnus, Camera Eye, Twenty One Twelve, The Necromancer, Fountain, and Xanadu. Um, you want to do it from the bottom up, David? Yeah, sure. By the way, did uh, did both Chad and myself did we both have um, the main monkey business as number one on that episode? I believe so. I believe he did, which I love. I love that song. Yeah. to be honest, and I'm glad they played it in in the set list at R Forty when I was just. This is summer, a couple months ago. Yep. I really do. That's probably my favorite song off that album, if you can believe it. <laughs> uh, all right. Tell me what uh, what do you got for number seven. I have Fountain of Lemness. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I love it. It's a slow song, but uh, it's great for like when I'm grilling. <laughs> you know, a 20-minute song. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, again, relative to the other six, yeah, I, I put that in number seven. Um. I have The Necromancer at number seven. Okay. And while The Necromancer was a song that I... The Necromancer was like the saving grace on Caress of Steel when I first heard the album. I was like, well, this thing is epic. But Mm -hmm. the rest of it is garbage. Obviously, (laughs) later I decided, you know what? Caress of Steel isn't garbage. It's just way different. Um, (laughs) It's it's a lot different, yeah. I I have Necromancer at six, by the way. And so I'll just tell you... You know, Rush always says they're influenced by the bands of the day, and I, I, I'm not going to assume you know, but that last, I think, three or four minutes of the Necromancer, I really like. It sounds a lot, lot like they're influenced by the Allman Brothers, because <laughs> when you hear some of their, their longer Allman Brothers songs, it, it sounds like that, and I and I like them. And so, you know, it's a 70s band, it's pretty esoteric, but I, I hear that a lot in it, And but you're right, it's... Uh, um, it's it's not obviously my favorite ever, but I do I do listen to it. I listen to it more than I do the Fountain Emblem now. That that's for sure. I did a complete flip flop with the, the Necromancer and its sister tune, the Fountain. Um, yeah, I really have come to ap- appreciate the Fountain for what it is and um, see how well it was written and how well it's performed. And um, mm-hmm. so there's there was a big flip flop for me. My number six was Cygnus, the first book. And I know people will probably not be happy with that. I know my buddy Chad will not be happy with that for sure. Um, but again, this was like a right now. This is where I'm at. Where I bet if I listened to that song for the rest of the week, it would float up to the top, closer to the top. Um, I definitely, when comparing the two Cygnus books, mm-hmm. I, number one is always below two for me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm surprised he had it down six, but yeah, that, that's, uh, it starts a little. It, it's a little strange. I, I think it's a little dated in, in the beginning, at least. But it picks up, and it's, it's a great team. But yeah, I have him a little higher. Than the list. What's your number five? 
I have Xanadu, which actually is one that Twitter where we were telling you about uh, the Rush Daily Rush photo, whatever ran. I was surprised that thing won. I like the song, um, but again, compared to the four ahead of it, I, I think it's in a in a level below. Um, but you know, it, it, it's hard to criticize it. It's a great song. Don't get me wrong. But, I also uh, have Xanadu at five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while it's good, it's really good. Um, people, I, I think the I, lyrics. I just, the lyrics, what? I think some of the lyrics. I know some people really like that, but I've always thought that's turned me off a little bit. With some of the lyrics are, are a little strange, and they kind of make fun of themselves when you see them in the interviews about that. But, right. Uh, anyways. Yeah, people people really build that song up to be one of the greatest ever. Um, like with our forty, people were dying. Mm-hmm. You you could argue that and Jacob's Ladder were just the two tracks that everybody had to hear. Yeah, and uh, while I think it's a great tune, I don't. It's not like it's not a, a tune that I couldn't live without. If I had to choose, no, I, 10 I don't tracks, think. Yeah, it's not know? my top ten. I mean, I like it a lot. I mean, it's Rush. It's way better than most other bands. But you're right. I mean, I, did they play it? Did they play it at your R40 show? They did it at ours. It, it was good. I think so. Was it one that they rotated out? I don't know. I know in my set list which I had a copy in front of him to jog my memory. They did. They played it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they didn't rotate it because they had the double necks, and they played mm. the double necks at every show. That's right. That's right. Yeah, um, that's when they whipped up the double necks, which was fun. I think they've added to the enjoyment sure, yeah. by the... Uh, number four. I have the camera, and I really like that song, and I've been listening to it a lot lately. And I think I told you that was one that I, I skipped. <laughs> you know, you, you talk about... I know your uh, question for this week was, you know, your top 20 or was it 20 songs or 19 songs and put them in slots and, you know, cause you think position matters. And I, for me, it was a functional, <laughs> it was on the, on the backside of a cassette. So I used to just rewind the first side of moving pictures and I'd skip it for years. I mean, I would listen to it a little bit, but, <laughs> but as I got older, I really liked the song and, uh, it, it troubles me. These, these two, three, four, I mean, the, we're talking razors difference between them, but I, I have camera at four. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's when they, they kind of pivoted. I think you're right. They, they're pivoting into a new period, and it's kind of the last of the epics. You know, it's only 10 minutes, but it's just a cool song. And I love the lyrics. It deals with the urban, and that's always a, an interesting thing to me in New York and, and, and London. And I just think, you know, I, you know, I'm not like a music expert by nature. I'm just a regular fan, but I can see how it just sort of changes the tempos in it, and it's just amazing. Uh, the, the, the musicianship in it, it, you can hear it, and... That's why I really like it. Uh, I have Fountain at number four, and we've talked about Fountain. Uh, number three is Camera Eye for me. And, wow. Uh, yeah, there's there's something about that track that is different than everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, different than any other. I mean, every you could argue everything that Rush does is so different than everybody else. Yeah, I'd I be interested to hear from people what they think, like... Maybe what they think the closest thing is that sounds like Rush. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's there? a signature. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the camera is great. I often have it in my head now because I live in Manhattan. And yeah. walking down the streets, <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, there's a song about this. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's your number three? No, it's a great. Yeah, it's a great number. I have Signus X1, Book One, The Voyage. I really like that song. And, you know, Farewell to Kings is... is uh, a great album, and I, I just you know 
it's hard to hard to put it lower, to be honest. Like I said, that and camera, I went back and forth a few times. I probably listen to camera a little bit more lately, but I, I, the Cygnus book one, I was so thrilled when they played parts of it at, at R4. I didn't think it was going to be played. But uh, I was kind of like, you know, I was ignoring the set, you know, anybody tell me what the songs were going to be. So it was a pleasant surprise to see it there. And, and at my my show, they play camera I too. So, you know, I was I was excited about that. So here we are at the top two. We've both got the same two left standing. Yep. You could argue <laughs> they are the, the two epics of the epics, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the two juggernauts. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you, you guess mine, I'll guess yours. I think you have 2112 first and Hemisphere second. Yeah, I think you have the same thing. What do you got? No, I, I have it flipped. <laughs> oh, no. Well, so do I. <laughs> I have twenty one twelve second, and I have Cygnus first. Oh, you do? Yep. Oh, that's what I have too. Wow. So I guessed wrong. Yeah, twenty one twelve is probably the the. Uh, I just you know it's 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 an epic of an epic. I think you're right. And Hemisphere was actually the the best I can tell. Was, I think it was ten. It was the like I said, my uncle introduced me to. It, it was the first Rush song I ever heard. Right. And <laughs> I mean, I'm just attached to it. And of all the epics. I think Hemispheres, the first minute, man, that is amazing. And Prelude is just amazing. Right. It just sort of comes, bam, right at you. And it's like, how could you not like this song? <laughs> it's amazing that, that, you know, I don't know if you ever paid attention to that opening minute. is just, ama- you know, with the symbols starting out, boom, it just it just starts hitting you. I love it. I, I'll listen to that, that first minute over and over. In fact, I did this week. I just kept, <laughs> you know, clicking back on uh, on the on the iPhone, listening to it through the, you know, the headphones, but it's just, a, it's just a, it's an epic song. I just, it's very Rush-like and you know, they abandoned that, that format. And I, and I know you've seen the, probably the documentary, they said that they, they abandoned it at that point. And, uh, um, I can see why I think, I think they, they, they kind of hit the, the, the height of it and then moved on. 2112 to me is more of a story. Where obviously there's a story with Cygnus and Book Two, twenty one twelve is is very uh, sequential, so like sequential. I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's got the parts are very clearly defined. There's I'm talking now. The priests are talking. I'm talking. There's there's a dialogue in twenty one twelve. It's very straightforward. I think the parts in Cygnus Book Two move really well it's a very organic transition between parts yeah and collectively i think it's just a it's a more well-rounded track for me and that's why it's number one and and it took me a long time as a rush fan to get into the 70s stuff in general it took me Mm -hmm. even longer to appreciate the longer tracks it was Mm -hmm. a long time before i listened to 2112 in its entirety as a track, I always I had Spirit of Radio, the compilation. I would only listen to the overture. So yeah, I often want, I often wonder about you know because you guys are coming in at the stake. You know, their songs are more traditional now, sense of the time. Yeah, not that they sound traditional, but you know what I mean. They're they're a little bit shorter, and uh, I, yeah, it, it's a, it almost sounds like a different band. You know, if you I sometimes have them in a playlist, and I, Hemispheres will come, and then maybe something from. Presto comes after it. Just it's pretty radically different, man. but but even Hemispheres, I think for them is is such an odd song in the sense of they they haven't really done anything like it since. And uh, I, you know, but it is it's kind of their masterpiece in that era. I'm not saying it's their best song, but 
I think for the epics, it's the best. And, and you're right. It's just a, you know, you can listen to it. It's eight, was 18 minutes and you, you don't get bored. I mean, there's no, there's no down period. Even at 2112, there's a sort of in the middle section where it gets a little slower. They don't really do that in the hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And then I like that. You know, that's, The only that's thing that deterred a... me for a second from making this number one was the ending where, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, the ending on 2112 is dramatic and in your face and epic is a good word for the epics. Um, yeah. While hemisphere or Cygnus is sort of a, a cool down period for the end of the well, tune. And, you know, it got me thinking, because you said, I, I couldn't do that. Your digital discussion is way over my head. I'm not that smart to do the, you know, the, the, the slotting. But I did notice, because I, I knew I was going to tell you about the first minute, because I just love that. But that last minute, it's almost a minute, too. And I don't know if that's uh, on purpose or not. Uh, I can only surmise, I guess it is. It's so much of a, a slow, you know, let go of the song compared to the opening minute in Hemisphere. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that, because you're right. It's radically different how it just sort of lets you go (laughs) out of the song versus how it starts you versus it's the reverse. in a lot of the other epics, they kind of start slow and, 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 you know, build up. Sure. Now the, uh, God, I lost it. I was remembering when I first heard, I listened with my dad when he first heard 2112 in its entirety. And we had only, we didn't even own the album yet. We had only heard it on that compilation, just the overture. So when oh, we yeah. got the full track, we were amazed. We were laughing. We were <laughs> laughing at how thematic it was. It's like, oh, here's yeah. that part from the overture. It's just a little slower <laughs> this time. Or And here's that other part that we recognize. And, hey, this part came back. And, and that's how music is supposed to work, it's especially yeah. large uh, epics like this. I mean, that's what classical music was. No, yeah, they, they kind of, that's a good point. They kind of take a classical music approach to how they build their song. And I think I'm starting to appreciate that a lot more. I think I always appreciate it, but now that I'm sort of reminiscing about it more as I get older, I, I think you're right. So your dad introduced you to Rush? Is that, is that what you Yeah, said? yeah. I don't know if I've ever told the story on the show, but my dad is a bass guitar player. Oh. And he mentioned he he was looking through a catalog or something at other bases and my mom said if you were going to get another one what would you get and he said i would get a black and white jazz bass so (laughs) you all know where this is going um my mom took me to the guitar store and she said i want a black and white jazz bass and the guy said well you can you can get a black and white jazz bass or you can get this black and white jazz bass and the getty lee jazz bass I to this day I stand by my words. Um, I have a YouTube video that kind of explains how to get a Getty Lee like tone. And, yeah, uh, it's the best. It's just the best jazz bass you can get that isn't over a thousand dollars. I mean the new wow. ones, but yeah, unless you're buying custom shop, it's beautiful. So anyway, he got <laughs> he got this bass. He was real surprised and saw the signature on the back of the headstock and looked into it and saw that it was Getty Lee. And my dad had been to a Rush concert or two mm-hmm. as a passive fan. Actually, I think he was, he saw a Roll the Bones tour concert mm-hmm. and um, he knew of Rush, but uh, then he started looking into it. Rush and Rio was a brand new thing. And I remember him watching like the extra, the extra stuff on um, the Rush and Rio DVD. And he's like, Hey Jared, you know, 
hey Jay, hey Jared, whatever one you want to roll with, come come <laughs> over here and check out this. Uh, check out these guys. This bass player is really good. And at the time, I had just been learning bass from my dad. Wow. And I, I remember, I can remember sitting on the couch for like a few minutes watching them interview Alex and Getty, and being completely uninterested. I was like, why do I have to sit here and pretend like I'm interested in these guys that my dad thinks are amazing? And when, once I started hearing the music on car rides and stuff, I was I was completely um, hooked, you know. But uh, wow. I do look back at that time where I was watching the Russian Rio Extra, you know, the special, um, what am I trying to say? You know, the extra stuff on the DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, the bonus material. And I was completely uninterested. <laughs> but yeah, my dad, my dad still plays that bass because it's a good bass. And wow, um, I imagine there are similar stories like that with that Getty Lee model because that thing is everywhere. They produced a lot of them. Yeah. Do you play any you instruments, know, my, David? What's that? Do you play any instruments? No, I'm not. I'm not very talented. My uncle was a bass player too, in, a, in like a local band and a DJ. So he was really into music. I I I played more sports. I'm not very talented at music. I just was a, just like I said, a, I appreciate that a lot of musicians like Rush. So I, I always think, well, maybe maybe by accident of history that you know I'm a Rush fan. <laughs> I stuck with them because you know they, they tend to be respected by those you guys who can play instruments. I, I'm not very good at playing anything. But I, like you said, and so that's why I like hearing some of the things you guys talk about in the podcast because, you know, I can appreciate it when you guys get into some of the, the technical details. I know some of your uh, regular fan guests are, are musicians too, so that, that's pretty cool to hear. Is there, uh, is there some, like, let's move out of the 70s and talk about some of the newer stuff. What's a mm-hmm. track or an album right now that you're really digging? I've been listening to Test for Echo live version. Uh, I think it's from the... Um, I have the Apple Music, so it, you know, uh, streaming that, and so we get everything. Uh, so all the, the rush, the, which, the song "Test for Echo," but live. Yeah, I yeah, I, 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 I haven't listened to it in so long, and I just, you know, I uh, I've been listening to that a lot. Um, what else have I been listening to? And counterparts, uh, the instrumental. That's one that's in my little playlist yep. right now lately. I've been concentrating on the '90s, and I think I know you talked about counterparts and that. I, I think I kind of did, you know, Roll the Bones was big. I was in college and, and that came out. In the Midwest, they, they play actually a lot of Rush songs as they come out new on some of the classic rock stations. So Roll the Bones got a lot of play, Ghost of a Chance, all that. Wait and a minute. Counter- yeah, back up. I was going to, I assume you mean Dreamline, but Ghost of a Chance was getting radio time? Yeah, Ghost of a Chance, where I was at a little, in northern Missouri, a little college. Ghost of a Chance played all over. I think it was just a local DJ like but along with Roll the Bones, and I, I ran that thing in the ground. But um, but no, Counterparts, I, I think I've come back to appreciate a lot more. And I know it's one of your favorite albums, and so that, that you know, I, I haven't quite gotten to love Hold Your Father as much, but I do appreciate Counterparts. And I appreciate their 90s music before, that, you know, they had that break uh, with Neil quite a bit. I, I You know, they kind of pivoted again back towards the, a little heavier sound, uh, starting with Presto. I think you're right about that. And, uh, I like it. I mean, that's what I've been listening to most. Just listening to the album. You know, it's nice with the streaming service. You hear anything you want. Right. Yeah. There's, um, I've said this before. I can't imagine not yet. Yeah, I'm going to say this is going to sound mean. Uh, I can't imagine being stuck with test for echo for that, for that break. <laughs> not, yeah, no, not it, in the sense yeah. that test for echo is bad, but it's, mm-hmm. I think it was 
and you can tell me if I'm correct, at that time, I would have thought the band was over. And oh, we did. I like thought I said, it was over. Like I said, Carve Away the Stone would have been the last Rush song we ever hear. <laughs> that would have been a travesty. No, I agree. It, it, it's a lot easier to take when you've got things that have come since. But, you know, I, I, yeah, we thought they were over, and then we thought they, were, you know, they weren't going to tour. Of course, Rush, well, I think one of the things is not, they're such a great live band, and their live albums are amazing. And that's what I worried most about it during that break, to be honest, was not so much the test for Echo was the last studio album, but they just weren't going to tour and they were, you know, we weren't going to get any, we weren't going to see them again. You mean like and, the feeling uh, that we have right now? Kind of, you know, a lot of people are going through that now. I, it's probably true that it won't, I think they'll still tour, but I don't, I don't think they're going to do these, these long, but the, even this tour was a lot smaller than their other one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was probably half the number of cities, to be honest, but. But yeah, it, it was it was an odd time in the in the nineties, like you said. <laughs> I, I I I did appreciate that when you said Carlos is still gonna be the last thing they produce. I was like, wow, it's kind of a bummer to yeah, think about right. it. And it's got me thinking now. Like, I wonder maybe this would be a digital discussion in the future. But what what Rush album would be appropriate for them to end their careers on? And you could go as far back as you want. You know, you it's. It's uh, reasonable to suggest that they could have ended their careers after Grace Under Pressure. Yeah. How ma- yeah. What is that, like nine albums in? <laughs> that's a lot of albums for a band. Uh, yeah, it's amazing, yeah. And that's why I, lo- I love these streaming services, because if you like bands like that, like Rush, you have so many albums. Right. <laughs> you know, because the, the CDs wear out. They scratch. You know, I got some ones that are I've just played so much, they, they're not functional. So you got to go to the digital archives to get them. And, you know, yeah, I had... And, and, a- I had a, like a religious experience at school a couple of years ago because I, I don't own a record player. I don't know how to work a record player. I don't know <laughs> how to turn it on. I don't know what speed to set it at or if it has to be set to hyperdrive before you start playing it. Like I am, I'm 23 years old, guys. <laughs> so, uh, and I also grew up with my dad, who's a musician, who insisted that, uh, and I believe this, that CD quality just surpasses vinyl like there are people who insist that vinyl is a better sound it might maybe it's a different sound and maybe it's a sound that you are more sentimental about but i think cd quality is better quality so we didn't even own a record i agree i agree i've never been into vinyl like i said the first things i got were vinyl and then tape and then once it went to cd i thought it was the next level with that but i like the digital it's just so much more you could take with you you know i can get on a plane and Sit there and listen to music, <laughs> you know, in the headphones. Yeah. You can't, you can't do that with any other machine. I, uh, I, I don't know why I own this, but I own Grace Under Pressure on vinyl, and it wow. was, and, and maybe one other album, but I'm not sure, um, because I don't have any way to play them. But somebody bought it for me at some point, and I brought it up to school where there were record players. They had listening rooms in music school, where yeah. you would go into the library and you'd close this honking door. This door was so thick to keep it soundproof. <laughs> And it was just a chair, a table, and every device that plays music in the history of ever, right? So they had a record player, and I walked in there. I was eating up that room for somebody who had to study, you know, his Mozart or his Beethoven (laughs) that day, and I'm in there (laughs) blasting uh, the body electric. But I figured out how to work the thing, and I just wanted to experience a Rush record like people like you got you know, you had no choice. That's how you had to consume the music. But yeah, I wanted to see, true. like, what, this is how people heard Grace Under Pressure when it was released. 
And that was mm-hmm. that was religious for me. It was like, oh, this is <laughs> I have to do this. It's all the same tunes. Like I know these songs up and down. I can play them all. But mm-hmm. I, I need to sit down and like digest this album coming off of this record. I don't know. Yeah, no, I because that's in the mid '80s. We're still around, so like the power windows era. But really, I want to say I was at ending high school. The CDs were coming out, and they were expensive at the time. But the the jump in quality was amazing. And then, so then I would go and get like Rush Chronicles, you know, the compilation album mm-hmm. to get all my old songs in a in a, a CD sort of remastered format for the time. And it was it was just amazing how how they sounded. It was it was it was you're right. It was it was neat at the time. It's you know, technology for so us. I'm you know. confused. Like my internal timeline is kind of uh, blurry mm-hmm. because in my let me see in my head, cassettes came around around uh, signals. Maybe they were newish, and I think Hold Your Fire was the last record they made on vinyl. Do you know of any of those things? Like when when were cassettes? Uh, no, I had. You would have had cassettes in the early. I, I had movie pictures on cassette. I, mean, I had a little oh, okay. recorder, and uh, they were cheap, and it was easier than vinyl. And they were more mobile. They were sort of the, you know, now digital music so mobile. But at the time, I could put. And that's why I didn't want moving pictures on vinyl. I, mean, I was twelve. I didn't know anything. It, it didn't sound better. It sounded horrible. But <laughs> you could put it in a little jam box or a little tape recorder. They had them where you could tape things, but you could also play music and just bring it with you. So that would have lasted. I think in the graduate in 88, so I think 86-ish, we were still getting cassettes, and then it went to DV- it went to CDs real quick, uh, I would say in the late 80s, early 90s, so. Okay, so maybe that Hold Your Fire thing was complete bogus, what I said. They could have been on CD, in fact, they probably were, it would have been 87, they probably would have been CD, if I remember right. So, so, so like, what was the first Rush CD you owned, I think you said this? I bought it, it was in college, and, uh, I went up to the CD place at Chronicles, which they had, you know, basically the compilation album. That was the first CD of Rush I bought. Everything else was tape, and then, you know, I was kind of lazy and just, li- you know, listen to other people's stuff, you know. Yeah. When you're a college student, you're not very good. That was the first CD I got was, was the Chronicles album, and I've, I've had them since. But, but yeah, it was kind of, uh, uh, until digital, that was the medium everyone used. It's fascinating. But now, yeah. but now they're going back and remastering all these things, which is amazing. They sound so much better. The remastering the records? Well, like in the digital, you know, you, you hear this, uh, at least it, you know, as much as I know about it, you go in there and, and the, it looks like they're remastering the, the albums or I don't know what they're doing to them. Have you heard but, any but, of them? Is there a notable difference? Uh, well, it looks like in the, in the uh, streaming services I've been using, yeah, I, I think they sound better. I mean, you can still hear on some of the CDs that were originally vinyl i mean like like lavia when it starts out you can it almost sounds like you're listening to a record because you used to get that background kind of you know yeah when you listen to them and you can still hear faints of that on ones that quote haven't been you know touched up but uh but the new stuff like clockwork it, it, those are those are recorded well huh yeah yeah i'm I'm really happy I'm i'm just sitting here i'm just thinking about what you're saying that's all uh I'm really happy with the way Snakes and Clockwork came out. Yeah. Especially, I mean, yeah, you can compare it to its adjacent album, Vapor Trails, mm-hmm. which had some issues. But yeah. even as standalones, they are, I think they sound so good. And um, 
my top three that I talk about all the time and my top tier, Counterparts, Power Windows, and Snakes, I think are all, while the material is my favorite, I think they're a representative of the best recording quality Rush ever had. Um, yeah. Those three records. No, so, Power Windows is good. Did you ever hear the, the Mystic Rhythms live version they put on? It was on Chronicles. I was just listening to it the other day. So if it's and on it's Chronicles, just, it must be an old recording, right? Yeah, but it's amazing. It's an amazing version they do live, which I always, you know, I, I, I'm a geek enough. I like I like the live versions, you know. Access Stage Left my favorite live album. But I love the some of the Power Windows ones that are done live. It's Because you hear that studio, you think, oh, it's, you know, it's sound recording, and it's maybe edited up. But then when you hear them live, they can produce the sound pretty well. And they didn't play any Power Windows on the R40, and... Uh, but then when you go back and hear some libraries, it's it's amazing. It's uh, it was a good it's a good it's an older recording, but it's a good recording. I'm sure I really I've like heard it. it, but I will totally go back and check that out again. Yeah, no, I love it. I love that version of it. I thought that, and this hurts, this pains me to say this, but I thought Middletown from Clockwork didn't sound as good as I wanted it to. I thought when mm. they played it live in 2012. Um, something was missing. Maybe that's because of how pristine I perceive the studio recording to be. But then I listened to, and I, I think there's a, a listener out there who I had this conversation with, but I listened to the live version from that tour, the Power Windows tour, and it, it sounded great. So th- just for me, there was something missing on Clockwork. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I didn't catch them when they did the clockwork tour. They, uh, they came through here, but I didn't catch them that time. I don't know what, what happened, but I would like to hear it. Yeah, I, I think it's on a, the bonus material on the DVD as well. Yeah. The Blu-ray, cool. I should say. All right, David, this was uh, this was really, really cool. And I'm glad yeah, that no, you suggested the, the ranking of the epics, and we're going to have everybody else send them in as well. So... Cool. Uh, keep your ears open for future episodes to see how everybody else thinks about it. Cool. Cool. All right, thanks, dude. Brought to you. No, by- I say brought to you by Knickerbocker. <laughs> uh, what I love in that in these movies is the, are the the jumping. Qui Gon does it jumping onto the ship when you first see Darth Maul. Yeah. I love it. Like, yeah. oh, fly low. He'll jump, you know, <laughs> yeah. 30 feet in the air. After a spaceship. You miss. And, like, how, how does Qui Gon know? He just, like, they must have, like, force communicated because Qui Gon's just like, bzz, 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 bzz. wait, hold on. <laughs> Running after a spaceship. <laughs> and then he just jumps in. He's like, oh, God. Yeah, that was. I just jumped into a spaceship. <laughs> That's so cool. I don't know. You know what you know what happened is they had they have like the spaceship and they have like they're they got the set ready and they're bringing the spaceship up and Liam Neeson's like, wouldn't it be cool if I just did this and he just backflips thirty feet in the air and they're like, Holy shit <laughs> Keep that in. Did you get that? Let's just keep it in. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, Liam Neeson's awesome. And he doesn't take shit from anybody. He's just no. like, Master Yoda's like, you can't train the boy. Like, no He's way. Like, He's gonna definitely going to be Darth oh, Vader yeah. someday. And Quiet's like, mm, don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Because now he's my apprentice. Ah, yeah. Deal with it. Now he's... And then he just like puts on a pair of sunglasses and smokes a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you can't smoke in here. Whatever, apprentice. <laughs> Fucking do something about it. And then he dies, and then at the end of the third movie, Qui-Gon was just like, oh, death, yeah, fuck that, coming back, here's the thing, know how to cheat death. 
Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> He's, awesome. He's definitely going to be Darth Vader someday. Don't give a fuck. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. What I love about that planet is that they all live in huts, like mud huts. Tatooine. Oh, they, yeah, have, yeah. they have the most high-tech sliding electronic doors. You know? Oh, yeah. And it's like, I sleep in sand. Want to see the droid I built? Click. <laughs> okay. The pod race. First of all, they have pod racers. Yeah. Like, you live in mud, and you have pod you race these awesome machines. It's just like... It, and then the iPad. They're like, well, let me get in this fancy elevator and pull out my, like, Flintstones iPad. Yeah, exactly. It's got, like, it's, like, such, like, Built into a sophisticated rock. technology, but it's got, like, horns on it from an animal. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's literally showing you a live feed of a fucking, like, anti-gravity craft <laughs> flying at, like, 600 miles an hour, but I have to hold it by the horns that we killed the rat to take it off of. Well, every every standard alien giant rat with horns has an iPad on its, on its skull that you can just like, oh, it's carve an organic out. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my! They God. all have Wi-Fi, of course, too. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so true. Yeah, I love the announcers in the pod race. The guy, like the two-headed announcer. And hey, let's like, get ready to have the race. Yeah. You know, like we are going to be here. And we're going to be recording a big race today, or whatever. And uh, and then the guy who's his other head like speaks. He says the same thing in a different language. Like that's how they get past the language barrier. Except it never sounds like it's anything like he's really saying. So like he's like they're lining up on the track. <laughs> like it's like that. You clearly and like you can tell when like Sabalba and Anakin are in the last lap of the race. And they're like they're like intense and they're into it and then all of a sudden it cuts to the announcer and he's like they're side by side and the Hatties guy is like bahu, bahu. <laughs> you didn't say words those weren't you just made sounds I I don't know I was just like thought it was fascinating and then Jabba it's like hey Jabba the race is over wake up and he's like <laughs> and he like flicks the little Gundark thing over yeah but, that that's a Jar Jar moment sorry what do you mean it's a Jar Jar moment I said there are examples in all these movies that are just like yeah, Jar Jar. Except- you don't Tom need. The hut is a gangster. Yeah, but you don't need him to flick the little thing. Goes. Ah! <laughs> also, uh, well, Jabba the... in in six. Yeah, with the little little tail, the little sock that goes. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, you see him for three seconds, and guess what? That guy doesn't make the I empire happen. <laughs> I'm just saying, there are Jar Jar characters throughout right, the whole yeah, series. Yeah, but they series. none of them are like we saw should put. Palpatine, who looks very mysteriously like Darth Sidious. If, if you can... Uh, before we do this, uh, um, uh, Emperor Palpatine, can you just put your hood up for two seconds? Because I have a theory. And I want to... Because... Alright, so back to the pod race. <laughs> the pod race, I was just... I hate the announcers because I, I just... Well, they added so many scenes in the 3D. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there were so yeah. many... Like the, the vendor who was like selling cotton candy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really? Come on. <laughs> Something I thought was funny, like, what if this announcer, his species, is really just, like, one person? Like, it's not, like, this guy's just kind of, like, a freak. He's, like, Siamese <laughs> twins of his brother. And his brother's, like, retarded. He doesn't know. He's, like, he's, like, I don't know where I am right now. That's just what he's That's saying. No, side by side. I need medication. <laughs> or he's, like, really just speaking gibberish. Like, <laughs> like it, that isn't just some other language. He's just, like... <laughs> Yeah, I got it. I got into the announcing career, but my Siamese 
twin brother with <laughs> mental problems really is not helping my career. I, I can't get hired anywhere. I'm <laughs> yeah.